Good morning. I hope you can hear me clearly. I'm getting nods, so that's a good sign. And uh, welcome to uh, Brighton Road Baptist Church here in Horsham. If you're in person uh, or whether or not you're uh, joining us online, you are most welcome. We come together to worship our God who is beyond our understanding. He's done amazing things in the lives of his people. Today we shall be continuing our series on Nehemiah and seeing how God moves in his life. Psalm 9 verse 1 and 2 read, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So let us stand to sing behind our masks. Uh, go for it if you're at home. Um, here in our lounge, um, whether we're here or in our lounges at home, we can make a joyful noise uh, to him who has done all wonderful deeds. Let's stand to sing, to God be the glory. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
Creator of all, sustainer of all, saviour of all, your glory and majesty are beyond our understanding, your power too awesome to behold. 
And yet, your love enfolds us as a gentle breeze. Saviour of all, sustainer of all, creator of all, we bless your holy name. Amen. Let us continue to worship as we sing a song that is both simple and profound, that reminds us that despite the times we let God down, his love endures out of your great love. Let's stand if we can. And again, let's pray together. Lord God, you have shown us such love and stretched out your arms to draw us into your embrace. Yet we so often fail to show that love within our lives or recognize its source. Forgive our short-sightedness for the times we failed to see your love in the generosity of friend or stranger, the shoulder to cry on, willing ear to listen, a word of encouragement, holding our hand that extra mile. Forgive us for failing to notice how much you care for us. Thank you, Lord, that you so abundantly love and forgive us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Our reading today is continuing, as I said, our series of Nehemiah. And we're looking at, uh, continuing on from last week, looking at chapter 2, and we're starting at verse 9. 
Nehemiah speaks. So, I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Simbala, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gesham the, ha- the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you, re- are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Motivation. There's a word. It can be a tricky thing, don't you find? (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you know what you should do, you know what you want to do, but instead of just getting on with it, you have an argument about it in your head? Maybe this is just me I'm talking about. (laughs) You have this argument in your head in which you justify not doing it or at least renegotiating when you will actually get around to doing it. I do this for all sorts of things. I did it this morning. 
the first the, the, the most common thing I can think of that comes to mind as to when I'm lacking motivation is when it comes to, uh, to marking my students' books. I don't know if there are any other teachers out there or former teachers, but um, they might understand. But I find marking mind-numbingly dull. And uh, I know I should do it. I, I know the benefits it will bring. And uh, I can have everything I need for me to do it and to do it well. But the pile of papers or books are so high. <laughs> Getting motivated to actually uh, get going with it um, is entirely a different thing. We meet Nehemiah at a very interesting stage. Earlier on in chapter 2, he's gone to King Xerxes in a hugely courageous way, with a sad face on, as we found out last week, courageous because to, do, to be anything other than happy in the king's presence was against the law. Wonderfully, rather than being punished, the king not only wanted to know what was wrong, but was supportive of Nehemiah's desire to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall there. Not only this, but following Nehemiah's prayerful approach, the king graciously equipped and resourced him with what he needed for the job to be done. Nehemiah was so blessed. It seems he had everything he needed to complete the task. In verse 10, we have a real indication that things may not go quite so smoothly. When he presents the letters for the king, from the king sorry, to the governors of Trans-Euphrates for his safe conduct to Judea, word gets out. Sanballat and Tobiah were two that we read were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the well-being of the Israelites. These two cared nothing as long as Jerusalem was weak and vulnerable. Even though the temple was there and worship conducted, and that was fine, as long as the people were not strong, secure and free from stress, they'd be happy with that. I find it interesting that opposition had not come earlier. Not when Nehemiah prayed, wasn't told no, not at that vision to uh, see that wall rebuilt, to go to Jerusalem, he wasn't turned down by the king, and to, and to rebuild. Not at the planning stage when he was getting everything together. It was at the point at which progress, him actually leaving to set out and go, it was then that he met the opposition. Sometimes we can be so fearful of ever actually stepping out in faith with God because we know opposition will come. Nehemiah's life could have been comfortable and easier if he'd stayed at the king's court, just getting on with being the king's cupbearer. But it would have been a mediocre state with God, and it would have been a life where actually he was deceiving himself. Because tough times come anyway, wherever you are. And we can learn from Nehemiah to step out in faith. So in so doing, challenging times are not avoided, but actually we're enabling, or God is able to grow in us. And as we step out in faith with God, we can be far more equipped to deal with those challenges. So in verse 11, Nehemiah, understandably, 
takes three days to recover from the long 850-mile journey. To recover and perhaps to prepare himself. Up until now, he's not communicated his purpose with anyone other than the king and queen. He would have been rather obvious, though, when he arrived. After all, he does come with a military escort and a shed load of timber. But still, Nehemiah keeps his own counsel and doesn't explain why he's there. I find it interesting, again, that Nehemiah arrived with everything, faith, vision, support of the king, and yet, when he finally arrived, he did nothing for three days. He bides his time. His heart may be bursting with desire to get, to get cracking with this, but he wisely waits. It's important not to rush on in, to make sure that you're emotionally, spiritually, physically ready for what God is calling you to. But then to get going. Nehemiah didn't let three days become four or roll into a week, a month, or more. Time to take stock, yes, but not time to put off from facing the actual challenge itself. So he goes out at night on his own to find out just how big this challenge was. He closely inspects all areas of the wall. The word we saw, I think, I can't remember, it wasn't um, viewed, it was, I can't remember exactly, can you remember what it was? It was about looking closely. And uh, from what I understand, it's, it's used twice, once in verse 13 and once in verse 15. And uh, actually, the word that's being used there is actually a medical term for uh, probing a wound to see the extent of the damage. I found that a really interesting idea. It must have been a, a really difficult thing and must have hurt him so to see as he inspected that wall. It must have been a very emotional experience. As this would have shown him not just how broken physically the wall was, but reveal the fear, poverty and insecurity in the lives of the people that lived within its ruins. It's only after this that Nehemiah speaks to the people in verse 17 and gives them his assessment and rallies them to rebuild the wall. How will they respond? Will they be motivated? Or will they be like me and try to negotiate or put it off entirely? I love their response. Just love it. Verse 18. Let us start rebuilding. Let's take a closer look at this. Let us. Who is us? Is it the Jewish leaders? Yeah. Is it one or two notable folk from within the community? Well, does us mean subcontracted out to those that we think are, are quite skillful for that kind of task? Actually, emphatically, no. Chapter 3 
that we didn't read, do take a look at it. It outlines all the different people, all the different members of the community and the part that they played, the section they did, what, how they were involved. It's a huge list. It's a varied list. It includes individuals that actually you might not expect on a construction site. There are merchants, priests, daughters, goldsmiths, and perfume makers, to name but a few. The point is, is that let us meant all of us. If this was going to happen, everyone needed to muck in. Everyone mattered and was needed. This was a huge task, and so us meant all of us. They all had a part to play. Let us start. The people didn't respond to the challenge with, hmm, interesting, Nehemiah. Let's procrastinate about that. Or, are you sure? Is there, is there not another way? That's a lot of hard work. Or, do you know, I quite like it the way it is. I, I actually quite like the ruins. It, I've grown used to it being like that. No. The people responded with, let us start. Let's get going. They must have known it was going to be hard. They must have known it was going to be difficult and perhaps come at some personal cost to themselves. They also knew it couldn't stay as it was. If they were ever going to know again the assurance that comes from being surrounded by a protective wall, they needed to start. They might not know how long it will take, but that's not the point. They needed to start and get going. Let us start rebuilding. The people weren't going into this not knowing what they needed to be willing to do. They knew they were going to need to clear away debris and broken pieces and brick by brick, one timber frame at a time, one section at a time, rebuild the wall. It was not going to be a quick fix. It's going to be a process that was going to need a united team that persevered. If you've ever done DIY, you know that it is rare indeed for a task to be completed like that. At times you think it's never going to end. I know that's my feeling. At the, at the moment I'm in the midst of re-sanding a whole load of furniture and it's taking an absolute age. But I've got to keep going, if only so that I can reclaim my dining room again. But the people of Jerusalem had the task laid out to them. And at that point, they were up for it. Post-ish, very-ish, COVID Brighton Road isn't as it was before. And you and I possibly aren't quite the same either. We might even feel a bit broken in places or completely a bit damaged. Let us start rebuilding.
bless us. We go forward together. We must go forward in unity. We help and support one another as we work together. It's not for just the leaders or for a few individuals to do this. This is a task that involves all of us. We're all needed. We all matter. You matter. You might think, well, I'm just... I can only... But chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah reminds us that everyone, everyone, even the perfume makers, were involved in the building of the wall. Let us start. The people of Jerusalem were up for the challenge. Are we? Are you? Or perhaps you're inclined to think that rebuilding is going to be too much effort. Or perhaps you'd like to keep things as they've always been. It might not be perfect, but it's what you've become accustomed to. Can I just remind you, the people of Jerusalem said, let us start. Let us start rebuilding. Moving BRBC on in faith is not going to be done overnight. In the same way as a wall is built, one brick at a time, so shall we with God and in his strength. It will take time. It will take teamwork, patience, and perseverance. Earlier I said that we can feel broken. As individuals, we can feel and perhaps know that there are parts of our lives that have been eroded over these past 18 or so months, been damaged. And we feel vulnerable. It may be that we've kept those broken parts of our lives to ourselves. Perhaps that we don't even want to admit to ourselves such things exist, let alone let God have access to them. Can I encourage you and remind you as we see with Nehemiah and his circumstance, that God is in the business of rebuilding and in the business of rebuilding lives. He doesn't leave us in a ruinous state. If we let him, he can rebuild us brick by brick. The end of verse 18 is just fabulous. He says, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. They began this good work. Let us begin that good work in our lives and at Brighton Road. Let's begin now. Let's take some time to digest, reflect, and respond to what God is saying to us. I'd like to read for you now a poem by a lady called Deborah Ann. 
It's called He Restores My Joy. You might like to close your eyes if it helps you to concentrate. And following this, the worship group will lead us in a piece of music that again will aid us in our time of reflection and what it is that God is saying to us. He restores my soul from the daily fatigue. He repairs my nerves, my fears. He relieves. He restores my heart from its heaviness. He removes the pain, the hurt, the weariness. He restores my faith when weakness sets in. He resets my trust to follow after him. He restores my belief when there is doubt. He reinstates in my life what his truth is about. He restores my joy of a future sighting. He returns my watch for that I twinkle. God is here, moving in our hearts, looking to pour out his love. Abundantly in us, we are here, longing to be changed, breathe into our lives again. Don't let us leave the same. Spirit. Spirit. Of God, fire. 
God of healing, God of wholeness. We bring our brokenness, sinfulness, our fears and despair and lay them at your feet. God of healing, God of wholeness, we hold out hearts and hands, minds and souls to feel your touch and know the peace that only you can bring. God of healing, God of wholeness, this precious moment in your presence and power. Grant us faith and confidence that here broken lives are made whole. If there are those of you amongst congregation here or perhaps online that feel that you would benefit from prayer with someone after the service, feel free to speak to myself or to Tim or anybody else that you feel um, you would feel confident and happy to pray with. Let's uh, conclude our service by singing together our final hymn, What Grace is mine. Let's stand to sing if we're able.
Let us close by blessing one another with the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And we.